Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now let's uh, let's get everything lined up here first of all. Uh, Alan Dempsey is the engineer. That's good news. That means we're going to get on the air. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show each week for us. Dan Britton. Well, we've talked to Dan before. He's back. Chief Field Officer with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, based out of Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, he's got a terrific book. It's called The Wisdom Challenge. Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. Dan, welcome to Orlando again. How have you been? been great, Pat. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell me about the book, how it came about, why it's important to write it. Really came about, Pat, uh, because of my friend Ron Forseth, my co co-author. Uh, Ron, in 2012, uh, was sensing uh, a dry period spiritually in his life and uh, just felt like God was prompting him moving in his life to read the book of Proverbs. And I think, Pat, you've done this. It's a great discipline. I've done it dozens of times, if not hundreds of times in my Christian life, that one proverb a day, 31 chapters, 31 days, and it just kind of keeps you consistent, and you're able to read through it. And so uh, Ron was prompted by the Lord in, in March of 2012 to actually begin that process. And as he began that, uh, God started to, to do real work in his life, and in his just a, a freshness and newness came about him. And when he got done with that month, um, he was then again prompted by the Lord, uh, uh, probably a small whisper in his heart, uh, to call his friend Dan Britton. And that's where I come into the picture. Mm -hmm. And just to give a little backdrop, Pat, uh, Ron and I had known each other for years. Uh, The Lord brought us together. Uh, I've obviously been working with FCA uh, for the past 30 years and had been serving at at our headquarters in Kansas City. Ron was with a large organization that worked with nonprofits and churches. And so we tried to partner. And so for years and years, we got together and tried to strategize how we might get together. And, and, and Pat, you'll, you'll find this funny. I, I find it funny that at the end of uh, trying to partner for years and years and years, our partnership of our organizations never came together, but a partnership and friendship came together. And we said, okay, Lord, I guess that's what you had in store all along is not really for our organizations to to work together, but instead for us to be friends for life. And well, at the end of that month, uh, Pat, uh, Ron picked up the phone, called me and said, Hey Dan, I just got done reading Proverbs. I go, I've done that. It's a great discipline, great exercise. This is the Lord prompted me to actually do it with you next month. And I was like, okay, I go, I've never done it with someone, but sure. That'd be great. And I go, what are you thinking? Like we read it together on the phone. He goes, no, you read it. I read it. And we text each other about what God is teaching us, the insight, maybe one verse or one insight. Just just take a couple uh, minutes to, to, to text each other, and then let's see what, what God reveals to us. And, Pat, I, I tell you, I, again, I've gone through this discipline of going through Proverbs many, many times on my own, but I've done it, never done it with someone. And I think the power of with, when you actually journey through Proverbs and you're, you're reaching out, and, and, and really, as we begin to journey during that month of April through Proverbs, uh, God was was uh, igniting my heart, like the scriptures came alive, like, hey, what what is the one 
nugget that God's going to show me that then I can share with Ron. And then I almost got just as excited of like, how was God going to move in Ron's heart? And what verse was he going to pick? Was it going to be the same one? Was it going to be the same insight? What can I learn from him? And so as the month went along, I just realized that Proverbs came alive. My faith began to grow. And uh, it just was, was so refreshing. And I love the verse of obviously Proverbs 13, 20, which says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise. And I began to see that that proverb actually playing out as I was walking with another wise soul, Ron, and I think he thought I was wise, and I was sharing truth with him, and, and just it really grew our relationship with the Lord, grew our relationship with each other. And I get to the end of the month, and, and, and of course, Ron goes, okay, now who are you going to do it with? And I was like, wow, wait, I just thought I'd do it with you again. He goes, now you got to go find someone else and continue it on for the next 12 months and carry this wisdom to, to create a legacy. And and the Lord prompted me to, to reach out to my son who was in college. And I said, you know, Eli, do you want to go through this with me and spend time together? And as I began to do Proverbs with Eli, uh, I began to see how he looked at Scripture. And I saw a whole new side to my son, even though I've spent many times doing Bible studies and sharing spiritual things with my son. During that time, uh, Pat, just really felt like my relationship with Eli grew I challenged him to go do it with someone else, and I went on and did it with some friends and some other FCA teammates, and the discipline was formed. And uh, just this last year, I challenged Ron. I said, Ron, you have to get this into a book form. You have to be able to communicate this message, this simple, powerful message to other people so they can benefit the way we benefited from. And, um, and so the book was launched from that. Well, let's dive in. Chapter 1, Wisdom's Impact. Uh, Dan Britton, our guest, uh, tell us about wisdom, wisdom's impact, Dan. Well, I, I, Pat, I think at the end of the day, all of us want to know what kind of impact we want to make in life, and I think we think about that a long time. What kind of mark are we going to make? What kind of etch or imprint are we going to make? And I think it's not a question of whether we will make an impact, but it's really what kind of impact. And um, and I think for us, we realize that, that with wisdom, if, if we're spending – 31 consecutive days in God's Word, in the book of wisdom, then we're going to not only grow in wisdom and insight, discernment, and truth, but also we can sharpen one another. And that's, again, I think the iron sharpening iron as one man sharpens another. That's where the impact comes. I, I always say that that uh, wisdom minus relationships equals nothing. It, it does no good at all. But wisdom plus relationships equals impact or influence. And I think that's where the impact comes in is wisdom's impact is, is actually infusing it into relationships, not just standalone. I think a lot of times people think about this wisdom on the shelf that, hey, this is wisdom for me, and I get to take it off the shelf and apply it to my life, and it's just for me. And really, that's just information. That's not transformation. And we believe that when wisdom is infused into relationships, it moves from information to transformation, and it is always in a relational context that we want to be able to have is have that relational background or foundation that we're going to be able to infuse it into. Uh, let's move to the next topic, wisdom's promise. Well, I, I love wisdom's promise is, is obviously uh, uh, God granted uh, in, a, in, a, in a very special way to Solomon out of 1 Kings 4, that when it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great insight, 
and the breadth of understanding as measurable as the sand on the seashore. Um, I, I think that that whole story of anything that, that Solomon could have gotten, he actually uh, said, hey, I want to be able to have wisdom, and God answered his prayer and gave him this, this incredible gift called wisdom. And then, of course, we know, as the story goes, is that along came a lot of other things with the wealth and riches and, and fame, but, but it first started with wisdom. And I think with, with wisdom promise, we have to go back to Proverbs 8.11. And, and in Proverbs 8.11, we actually have, Pat, the wisdom promise. And basically, the wisdom promise in Proverbs 8.11 simply says this, for wisdom is better than precious stone, and nothing desirable can compare with it. Nothing. And so sometimes Ron and I like to call the wisdom promise the nothing promise, right? (laughs) Who wants the nothing promise? Well, nothing compares to wisdom. And actually twice in Proverbs does this promise get communicated to us that it it, it can't compare to anything. And it's kind of the topper. It it takes the the top rung on the ladder that it is the thing of everything and nothing compares to wisdom. God is eager to, to give us wisdom if we seek him. And if you believe in wisdom's promise and we apply it and live it, then we believe that your, your your life will be marked with purpose and passion, with mission and meaning. And it's all found in that promise of Proverbs 8.11. And the question is, are we willing to step in and receive that promise that he reveals to us here in Proverbs 8.11 and say, Lord, I want to be able to have this wisdom. I believe you promise it and there's nothing that compares to it. And I'm going to seek it with all my heart. Now, we've got to take a break, and then we'll be back to talk about Wisdom's Invitation. Dan Britton is our guest from Kansas City. We're talking about his book, The Wisdom Challenge. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Dan Britton has had a long career with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, He's got a new book out, The Wisdom Challenge. And as advertised, Dan, Wisdom's Invitation. What does that mean? Yeah, well, Wisdom Invitation. I I, I think uh, I love that the fact that, that, that God allows us to, in James, it talks clearly about, you know, to ask generously for wisdom, just not just ask for wisdom, and that he will provide it. He will give it generously back to us if we ask for it. You know, I, I've often asked people, I go, okay, who who doesn't want wisdom? Show of hands. I think everybody always wants wisdom. I, I love the the, the prayer that, that Moses prays in Psalm 90:12. It's the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms out of 150, and it's a whole chapter of just Moses praying and, and, and having an eternal contact, eternal understanding of time. And in in, in, in Psalm in, in the Psalm of, of 90:12, he says, or teach us to number our days carefully so that we might develop or we might have a heart of wisdom. Uh, and I think that, that we all want to develop a heart of wisdom, but it, it, it's a question of, are we going to pray that prayer? Are we going to ask God to be able to say, hey, I want to be able to have wisdom, and I'm, I'm inviting it into my life and being able to receive it. But a lot of times we, 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 we don't even, Pat, at, at times, 
even want to ask for it, and we put a lot of other things on top of that. Uh, it was just funny. I, I read a survey uh, recently of 700 people. They asked, uh, they said, if you could say in one word what you would have more in life, what would that be? And they, they gave a top 10 list. And it's fascinating that the top 10 one-word answers is it went from happiness was number one, money, freedom, peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, confidence, stability, and passion. Uh, as we read that list, Pat, I, I go, man, there's a lot of good things on that list. But out of 700 people, what didn't make the top 10 was actually wisdom. And I just find that a lot of people, I don't find a lot of people pursuing wisdom and asking God for wisdom and praying a prayer of wisdom and saying, God, I, I want more wisdom in my life so that I can see things the way that you see things. I think one of my great, greatest uh, definitions I like of wisdom is Chuck Swindoll, who, uh, again, I've never met him, but he's mentored me every day on his podcast and the books I've read for the past 30 years as I've been in ministry. But, but Chuck Swindoll says wisdom is seeing things the way God sees things seeing things the way God sees things. So if we're asking and inviting more wisdom into our life, and we're getting a clear picture of seeing things and seeing everything around us, seeing people and circumstances the way that God sees them. And I believe, Pat, that is a great wisdom invitation. Now, wisdom's gift. Explain that to us, Dan. Well, the gift is, is simply this, that we find that it's kind of almost, unique that that the gift is that we know that wisdom starts with the fear of God. And I think today that that phrase gets watered down. And many times we, we stumble into it and we say, well, that just means having a reverence. But I think it's a little bit more than just reverence. Obviously, hopefully we have a proper reverence of God, but I think it goes deeper than that. And we actually, in the book, Pat, do a, do a little illustration of a little girl running out in the street or dad, you know, commanding her, you know, yelling in, in a very panicked way to, to, to stop because she's going to get hit by the car and understanding a proper fear and understanding actually keeps her from, from, from harm. And I think, Pat, that when we have a, a proper understanding of fear of God, that we see God correctly. We actually carry an appropriate fear, right? An appropriate fear, which will perpetually turn us toward God and keep us wisely aligned to Him and His commandments. And I think a lot of times we, we get this whole concept of fear of God. We don't talk about it much these, these days. But I think when we fear God, it will motivate us to love God and please Him even more. I, I love the way James Richard puts it. He says, the fear of God, the Bible encourages is the fear or concern that we may break God's heart. And that is the gift that God gives us because it starts with a proper understanding in a, in a holy fear of God that actually is a gift to us. And sometimes people go, wow, that sounds kind of intense. It's like, no, that, that actually is a gift that God is able to give to us and bless us with. Next topic, wisdom's tree. What does that mean, Dan? Well, Pat, you know, it, you know, being in the sports world and the coaching world, you, you've actually written books on them. Uh, I've had a chance to, to, to uh, edit and co-author a book called The Greatest Coach Ever, which is a book on, on Coach Wood and John Wood, which I believe is, is the greatest, not basketball coach, but the greatest coach of all time in any sport. 
which is a great statement. And, and I'm sure both of us could tell great stories and great uh, uh, principles by by uh, the the incredible coach John Wooden. But here I'm I'm based in Kansas City, and right down the street in downtown Kansas City is, is the College Basketball Hall of Fame, and they've just done a great job with with having an experience, the basketball college experience, as you go through and you get a chance to see who's been inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, including our friend and and, and great coach uh, John Wooden. But there's there's a a, a wooden tree uh, that shows all the legacy and, and, and the impact that he's had over the years of different coaches and players that have been a part of his tutelage and where they are now. And this tree, this incredible uh, coaching tree that's been developed. And so many times we talk about different coaches and different sports having a coaching tree. And so Ron and I were even thinking about this whole concept of wisdom and passing it on we thought about developing a coaching tree and, and so wisdom tree. And, and as we, as we know that when we pass it on and we share this, just in the same way that Ron challenged me at the end of the month to go and find someone else. And I did it with my son, Eli. Now I've done it with dozens and dozens of people all around the world. I, this, this movement has actually gone to Asia and Eurasia and through Africa. And as I've done it with teammates around the world, it's been awesome to see the wisdom tree that has been developed. And even on our website, we actually have a way you can actually track the people that are on your wisdom tree that people can be uh, on it and, and show your downline almost of people that are now part of your wisdom tree because you're passing on that wisdom. I want you to talk about wisdom's legacy. Well, that's, that's a great uh, end is that our legacy is what not is what is not about us, but what we actually pass it on on to others. And I, I tell you, our decisions, Pat, determine our present, our future, and our legacy. And nothing will outlast our legacy, both on this earth and, and, and also in, in heaven and in, in eternity. And I believe when we make God's wisdom our priority, we impact those around us, that the impact goes beyond us. And it's legacy, a lot of times people talk about, oh, that person's legacy is about them. But I believe legacy lives on in other people and how you're able to pass that legacy on and share that. And, and it's not necessarily the fruit in your own life, but the idea is that your fruit is growing on other people's tree. And I believe that's legacy, that concept that your fruit, because the way you've invested into those people, your fruit is actually bearing fruit on other people's tree, not just your own tree. And now wisdom's journey. What's that about? Well, it's only a seven-chapter uh, book, which is a great uh, read. It's a, a quick, less than one-hour read. In the first six chapters, as we've gone over, Pat, all the way from the very beginning, chapter one to chapter six, kind of covers a background. But chapter seven is, is more of an interactive chapter that actually we actually give 31 days for you to actually journal and write out what God is teaching you during your journey as you're processing through it. And so we just wanted to create that one kind of almost a workbook book feel for someone to be able to put some information there and be able to capture it as they're going through Proverbs together. And, and so, therefore, it's a book that it's almost like a journal or workbook more than just a book in that last chapter. And, Pat, we, 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 we frame up the whole wisdom challenge simply in, in three concepts that we say, first, pursue wisdom, partner in wisdom, and then pass wisdom along. So it's pursue, partner, and pass. 
in, in simply that if you make a lifetime commitment to say, I'm going to pursue wisdom every single day, every single day I, I wake up, I'm going to be like, Lord, I want to grow a heart of wisdom as, as Moses prayed, prayed, prayed in Psalm 9012, that that's the starting point. You have to have a personate, passionate desire to seek after wisdom, and that's pursuing it. The next is saying, hey, the power of wit, just like Ron reached out to me and I reached out to my son Eli at the beginning, the power of wit of locking arms in Scripture and reading through Scripture together and then sharing with one another, that's having a, a what we call a Proverbs partner, and that's partnering in wisdom. And the last one is then passing it along, giving that gift of wisdom, sharing that with others so that others can grow and develop and get a heart of wisdom. And so simply the wisdom challenge, pursue, partner, and pass it on, and that's what it's all about. And it's a phenomenal concept, simple concept, but it's transferable that we believe we've already seen testimonies of how it's changed lives. And, Pat, I, I just love to share one last story is that one of the first copies, as you know, when you write a book, Pat, and they give you some, some pre-release books, and I got two books that got sent over, uh, 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 airmailed straight from the country where it was developed. And so I had two books before I had to wait for another month before uh, the rest of the books were, were going to be developed and, and, and be sent here. And so I had two of them, and there was a lady that I usually uh, send one to who does a painting of the books that I've finished, and this is my seventh book. And so I sent it to her down in Florida and, and said, hey, uh, here's the book. I'd love for you to be able to paint a picture of it so I can hang it as, as a memory and celebrate uh, the seventh book. And and she got it, and she 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 goes, Dan, after about a month, she, she sent me the picture, but she said, Dan, I actually read the book. I was so challenged by the concept and the simplicity of it that I reached out to my sister, who I haven't had spiritual conversations in a long time, and and said that that this uh, I invited her to do the wisdom challenge, and she said yes, and she said I've had more spiritual conversations with her uh, in the last month than I've had in 30 years. She says that is the power of the wisdom challenge. And that's just one story of many stories we're hearing of how God's using it in families, in businesses, in organizations, in communities, in churches. And it's just been a powerful concept for God to use this thing called the Wisdom Challenge. Give me a quick report in closing, Dan, on the uh, work of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. What's going on with the FCA? Wow. Well, uh, we've been uh, uh, plowing ground since 1954. And and uh, actually, it was interesting, Pat, just yesterday uh, came up on my, uh, up on my uh, social media that five years ago yesterday, our founder, Don McClannan, had passed away. And it just made, brought a lot of great memories of times that I was with our founder who founded this organization in 1954, had the vision for it as a basketball coach of having an impact and influence in coaches and athletes' lives. And I just, you know, even my social media, I said, we're stand, still standing on Don McClannan's shoulders today. So here we are since 1954, over 65 years later, we're, we're seeing 2 million coaches and athletes reach by our 2,300 staff, not only here in the U.S., Pat, but we're in 106 countries outside the U.S. So mm. 107 countries that God has placed us in with literally millions of coaches and athletes being impacted for us to lead coaches and athletes into a grown relationship with Jesus Christ and in the fellowship of the church. And I just, I, that, that mission of ours 
gets me up early and keeps me up late at night because I continue to see how God is using FCA around the world. I just got back from Egypt six weeks ago with some of our team from Eurasia that we were training, came in for it. We had about 20 staff from all of Eurasia and that part of the world. And, and just to spend a week with them, training them and to hear their stories of what God is doing in that part of the world, just motivated me. I'm like, okay, I'm good for another, another 65 years. Let's go. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you have another book coming up in, in your brain? Well, uh, yes. I, I, one of the things is we, we have a couple books that we, we're trying to work on. Uh, one of them is is thinking through the, the idea of taking our, our very first book that Jimmy Page and I did called The, the uh, Wisdom Walks, which was this 40-day devotional that you journeyed through and had your walker, warrior, watchman, and workman and had these people in your life, these key relationships. What we want to do is kind of come out with something called the power of the circle and unpack that a little bit more and explain more in detail those those four key relationships. And so that's kind of on the docket to be able to hopefully get out here soon. Dan Britton has been our guest. <clears throat> the book, The Wisdom Challenge, Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour it's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back. Dan Britton, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, The Wisdom Challenge. We uh, go from Kansas City to Toronto. We found Jen Pollock Michelle, lead editor for Imprint Magazine. Her book is out, A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and follow Jesus. Jen, welcome to Orlando. How are you? Well, thank you so much, Pat, for having me. Why was it important for you to write this book? This book is um, an invitation for people to deepen their own experience of faith through the habit of daily Bible reading. So it's a 40-day reading experience, and I think sometimes it can just help people to have a little bit of infrastructure when they want to grow in faith, but maybe they just need a resource. It's also an invitation for people who might just be curious about faith, who might not really have um, an understanding of how the Bible, what the Bible even says. They don't know how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. So this book, which is 20 days of readings throughout the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and the story of Israel, it connects that to 20 days in the Gospel of John. And how does, you know, how do we learn, how does that connect to the story of Jesus? So I have both of those kinds of people in mind, convinced people, if you will, and also curious ones. Well, let's start. Day one, lend me your ears. Fill us in. Yeah, this is the first phrase in the book of Deuteronomy is these are the words. And so you really see the importance of the words all throughout the book of Deuteronomy and the importance of the spiritual habit of listening. And I think this is a practice of faith. I think this is a posture of faith that as we come to faith in in Jesus, we submit ourselves to his words and to his authority and to who he is as the word. And of course, we're not all there yet in day one. We're just in the beginning of Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to Israel 
And they are Moses' words to Israel, but they are also God's words to Israel. And we learned that they come in the form of commandment. That's the that's the translation in the English Standard Version. And so it asks, this first day asks us to wrestle with the idea that God wants authority over our lives. To day two. Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the places you'll go. So what I'm doing here is I'm talking about some of these places in the book of Deuteronomy, some of the ones that were introduced to at the very beginning. I mean, what we see in Deuteronomy is actually the people are outside of the promised land. And that's really important. They're in, they're sort of standing at the glass is what I say, looking in at all of the promise, at the promises that have been given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this land that God has promised to his people, they're not there yet. So we are looking at that place in the, in the Bible narrative. I think this day is really examining just this idea of, you know, the places are the things we like to skip a lot of times when we read the Old Testament especially, and the New too. They're just unfamiliar to us. We don't recognize the regions. We don't recognize the names of certain cities um, and nations, but really the story comes to us. A lot of the certain important parts of the story are rooted in the geography of the land. And so I'm even talking about a place like Kadesh Barnea, which is sort of a weird word, but it's the place where Israel, when they left their slavery in Egypt, they came to the edge of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. That's where they sent into the land to see if it was good, to see how they would actually take it. Ten of those spies came back. They all came back to say the land was good, but ten of them came back to say that there's no way that they could actually take this land, even though God had promised it. So, you know, you start to sort of see that there's a bit of shorthand that we can arrive at when we read the Bible. Um, Kadesh Barnea is just this place that says, oh, Israel's failure. Israel's failure to trust God. Now, uh, topic three, mirror mirror on the wall. Yeah, this is, you know, what Moses is doing in the book of Deuteronomy is he's rehearsing the story of Israel. He's, it's, we're at the end of the 40 years of wilderness, wilderness uh, wandering, and he's saying, hey, let's look back. Let's think about the, where we've been these last 40 years. And so um, he's just retracing their steps. And in some ways, this is to say that what I want to say in this day is the Bible is God's book, and it's God's story. And And that's a really important thing to understand as we read the Bible. We don't first, we don't really go to the Bible to learn about ourselves first and foremost. We go to the Bible to learn about God. But the paradoxical thing is, is that it does, the Bible, of course, does tell us about ourselves. And God's story is rooted in human history. And so as we read kind of the routes that Israel has taken, we see who God is and how he's been faithful to them just through their own story. Now, I want you to tell us about no do-over. What's happening? No do-over. So when you think about a do-over, it's that, oh, you know, you, you missed, you made a mistake and you just hope you can do it over again, right? And that is, again, a moment that's sort of represented in Deuteronomy. So I told you about Kadesh Barnea. 
that the Israelites don't get into the land. They, that's why they spent 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, because they didn't initially trust God's promises um, to give them the land. So now in Deuteronomy, they, the nation of Israel has a do-over, in a sense. They have another opportunity to trust God's promises and, and to inherit the land that he says he will give them. But Moses does not get that do-over. Moses, what we learn in Deuteronomy, or what we've learned in other places in the, in the Old Testament as well, that he's not going to get into the land. He, um, he sinned against God. He didn't uphold him as holy, I think, is that is the Bible, as the wording that the Bible uses. He, um, at one point, there was, there was no water. God had told him to speak to a rock, and God would bring water from the rock. And Moses instead, instead struck the rock, which actually he had done a time before because God had told him to strike the rock. But this second time, he says, don't strike it, speak to it. Well, Moses is angry with the people, and he does strike the rock. And God says, because you did that, you're not going to get into the land. And so day four has us listening in to Moses praying to God and saying, God, please, you know, please revisit that decision. I really want to go into the land. And God says, no. But I will let you climb the mountain and actually survey it. I'll let you see it from the top of this mountain before you die. Jen Pollock Michelle is our guest. She's in Toronto. We're talking about her book, A Habit Called Faith, Day Five To Have and to Hold. To Have and to Hold. Well, that speaks about marriage vow, right? Um, I've been married almost 25 years, and I promise to have and to hold my husband. And so this uh, marriage is a kind of a way of talking about covenant. And this is a very important theme throughout the Old Testament, and certainly we see it in the book of Deuteronomy, that God actually has he's decided that he will be a husband to the people of Israel, that he will commit himself to them. And he asks, them to commit themselves to him. And this is kind of what a covenant is. It's an agreement between two parties, and it's binding. And of course, what we see really in Deuteronomy, though, and in other places in the Old Testament, is that this is a covenant that really rests on the burden, all of the burden of the covenant, of keeping the covenant God takes on himself. Because in Deuteronomy, we see that the Israelites, they don't keep their promises to God. They say that they will keep His words. They say that they will be faithful to Him, and they're not. And what does God do with that, you know? And this is really how Deuteronomy is setting us up for John, the Gospel of John, and and just the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm drawing on those themes of God as lover God as um, husband to his people, and we're really discovering his character in this chapter. Now, Jen, let's go to day six, the moment called now. I am fascinated by the way that time is represented in the book of Deuteronomy. So essentially, again, I've said that we're at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, Israel, it's right, really what we have, the book of Deuteronomy is written to kind of the children, the grandchildren of those, of the Exodus generation. 
But in many ways, when Moses addresses this group of people, this nation, really, he talks to them like they're they're actually the Exodus generation. They're the people who came out of Egypt um, from Egyptian slavery. And so there's all this play uh, in terms of time. It's like the past isn't really the past in Deuteronomy. It's like the moment that really counts in Deuteronomy is the now. And we actually see this theme drawn out um, in the book of Hebrews, which sort of rehearses a lot of the story of Israel. And it's this idea that today is the day of salvation. And I think it's such a present tense. Faith is a present tense invitation for each of us um, to trust God today, to turn to Him today. And so that this kind of emphasis on today in the book of Deuteronomy is this idea that now is the moment for all of us, truthfully, not just for the generation um, that was standing ready to inherit the promised land, but for all of us in the life of faith. Today is the day that we trust and turn toward God. Practice your lines. What's that mean? Practice your lines. Imagine yourself in a play, right? You have lines to rehearse, and you just need to practice them. And that is kind of what we get in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we have these kind of this ancient prayer that Jews would pray, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the lines that the nation of Israel practice. They would actually, they memorized them. They prayed them regularly. And it's this idea that that's, that's actually something that we do in faith. You know, we, we receive lines from previous generations, and most importantly, we receive lines from the Word of God um, itself, lines that teach us the reality of who God is, who we are, and what our responsibilities are are to him. And I think it's helpful to just sort of remember that practice and habit, (laughs) these are parts of the life of faith. You know, just as we would train to, um, you know, improve our golf swing or our tennis swing or do anything else in life, it takes practice. And faith takes practice too. Now I want you to explain to us, his name is Jealous. His name is Jealous, so God is referred to as a jealous God in Deuteronomy. And I think initially we think, oh, isn't that bad? Isn't jealousy bad? But the example that I give in in this particular day's reading is you think about marriage, again, to draw on the theme of covenant. If if my husband were, you know, um, having an affair and I weren't jealous, um, something would be something would be very wrong if I weren't fiercely protective of our relationship. Um, and not all relationships require that kind of that level of possession or protection, if you will. But certainly, God, His love for us is so fierce. He wants to. He's calling a people to belong to Him. This is in the story of Israel, and again in the story of the Church through Christ. God is calling the people to belong to him. He longs to love them, and he wants a faithful people to him. And so his jealousy is not to be seen as some sort of, like, mean-spirited, 
quality about him as if he just, you know, um, I don't know, tries to micromanage our lives. He, it actually is just an expression of his love. We want God to be jealous because it means he, he wants us for himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking with Jen Pollock-Michelle in Toronto, Canada. The book, A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. We've got another segment with Jen. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Back with Jen right after this. Jen Pollock-Michelle is with us. She's in Toronto. We're talking about her book, A Habit Called Faith. Jen, we've arrived at day 10. Signs and Wonders. What's going on? Signs and Wonders. Another important theme in the book of Deuteronomy. It's just this idea that as Moses, again, is rehearsing the history of Israel and what God has done for them, he's constantly reminding them, look at how God has provided for you. He gave you bread from heaven. He's brought water from a rock. He rescued you from Egyptian slavery. He divided the Red Sea so that you walked across on dry land. He performed signs and wonders so that you would know him and you would trust him. But what we see in the book of Deuteronomy is that the signs and wonders never actually compel full, like, ironclad faith from the Israelites. They've seen miraculous things, but they still constantly doubt if God is with them, and if he will provide for them. And it reminds us of what faith really is about, is faith is trusting God when we can't see. And beyond the scene, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us that faith is um, the evidence of things not seen. And so a lot of times in the life of faith, we imagine, well, if I just had, you know, if I could just a miracle, if I could witness a sign and a wonder, then I would never doubt again. And what we learn from Israel is, well, that's not true, because they saw signs and wonders, and yet they continued to doubt. And so, so faith has to be something more than just the evidence of the scene. Jen, tell us about day 11. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. We learn, we have just this glimpse of Moses on the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he receives the Ten Commandments and also the instructions for building the tabernacle, which is a forerunner of the temple, which is a theme in the Old Testament that tells us that God wants to make his home right in the very center of Israel. He actually wants to dwell among them. And so what I'm drawing out here is this idea that home is a really fundamental human longing. We all want a place to call home, to feel like we're known and we're received and we're recognized and we're welcome and we're safe. And this theme of home in Scripture, which again, the Ark of the Covenant is what I'm talking about here, and the tabernacle and the temple, and then again to lead to to Jesus, who is the living temple, and then to us, you know, who become the temple of God. Um, this is all just to remind us that our life is most satisfied in God. 
when we have desires, um, like the desire for home, we should know that it's not really just the houses that we build that will satisfy that desire. It's a relationship with God himself. Let's move to uh, day 12, five words of faith. What are they? Five words of faith. Live, love, know, obey, see. Live, love, know, obey, see. Um, These are themes, these are words that we actually find in the Gospel of John, in specifically chapters 13 through 17, and again, I'm going to be connecting them. Um, But there are words that we see in Deuteronomy 2, live. Moses is constantly telling the people of Israel, here are the words of God. And if you receive them, and if you trust them, and if you obey them and surrender yourself to the authority of God, you will live. You will find your greatest life. Um, Love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is actually... Um, something new in Deuteronomy, this idea that the people of God is called not just to obey God, but to love Him. Um, Obey, I've talked about that. See, um, that ties back into signs and wonders. There are things that Israel has already seen, and now, standing on the edge of the Promised Land, they're supposed to see by faith that God will give them the land. Um, And then know, just know God. See, um, it's related, again, to seeing what you've seen about him. Know what he calls you to, who he is, what his character is. Um, So I think those are important invitations of faith for us even today. Live, love, know, obey, see. What's the fifth one? See. All right, now let's move to... um worrying for God's reputation. We're at day 13. This is what we do when we read the Old Testament, I think, sometimes. There are some strange things um, in Deuteronomy, for example. We don't—I skip most of the middle section of the book, which is a lot of the laws that Israel was meant to follow. And what we see when we read those laws is that they understand exactly, for example, why God permitted slavery. Why— we could worry for his reputation. Why did the God of the Old Testament think that was okay? Why didn't he just simply say, don't own slaves? This is a terrible practice, um, and this is abusive to your fellow human beings. But Deuteronomy doesn't say that. And so I think what I'm trying to do in this particular day's reflection is to say, okay, yeah, this is a normal feeling that we wonder if we should worry for God's reputation. But if we could understand how to read the Bible carefully, how we could read it as an ancient text, we could read it alongside other texts that are like it, so that we could understand what it's really saying and what its impulse is, then, then we don't have to worry for God's reputation in one sense, And in another, there are hard things in the Bible. You know, even Jesus himself said, if you want to follow me, you'll have to take up your cross um, to to do that. And so it's not as if, you know, we turn to the Bible and it says all the nice things we want it to say sometimes. We do have to sort of, again, it's back to day one, surrender ourselves to the authority of God. I want you to um, explain to us Day 14, the question of appetite. 
The question of appetite, I kind of draw out just a very small portion of Deuteronomy chapter 27, where the Israelites are feasting. And I sort of remember that throughout the history of Israel, they were often feasting, that their religious practices were were tied up into just table practices. And so this idea that faith is not just something that we think in our heads, faith is also something that we do with our bodies. And I think faith invites us as a whole person, body, mind, spirit, soul. It involves all of these aspects of our being. And so that's sort of what I'm drawing out there when I talk about when I talk about appetite. Next topic. No mercenary affair. When you think about a mercenary, you know, this is somebody who is hired to fight for a country and just to do it for money, right? So if you have soldiers that, let's just say, you know, we were in a war and American soldiers went, you know, to defend the country, they do it for patriotism, but mercenaries do it for money, um, for, you know, maybe less moral or morally defensible reasons. I think so to, to sort of compare that to the life of faith, sometimes we worry that if there is a promise of reward in Scripture and we find ourselves longing for that reward, we think that might be a wrong reason to, to move into a deeper life of faith. Um, so, again, to sort of think about Moses, you know, there's and the whole kind of, uh, there's a lot of language in Deuteronomy about blessings and curses. And he's constantly saying to Israel, have the blessing, obey God and have the blessing. And I think that there's a nervousness sometimes that we're greedy or we're selfish to want the blessing. But that's really not, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, the blessing is inherent to following God. And it's not, of course, I mean, if we're to sort of imagine our lives today, it doesn't mean that God's going to give us every material possession that we've we hope for. Um, but it is to say that when we follow Jesus, we do actually find our best life, that that is a life of blessing, eternal blessing. Jen Pollock Michelle has been our guest. Her book, A Habit Called Faith. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. We've got a one-minute wrap-up coming right after these messages. Stay with us. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Dan Britton, our guest in the first segment, talking about the Wisdom Challenge, and then Jen Pollock-Michelle, her, ty- her book of habit called Faith. Speaking of books, uh, my latest book is out. It's called The Reluctant Leader. And we look at the topic of why so many people are reluctant to lead when the opportunity is there, whether it's leading in your family, uh, leading in your work, leading in your church, leading in your community. Uh, When opportunities present themselves, so many people say, well, I'm just too busy or get somebody else or, and they, and they miss uh, the fulfillment of being a leader. The Reluctant Leader. Go up to Amazon, wonderful way to order books, and uh, uh, Advantage Media Group put this one out. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 
and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. And above all, have a wonderful week ahead.